Ivan Mafe is a convert Muslim who demystifies halal cooking for Muslims and non-Muslims alike. She started writing about cooking in her famous blog, My Halal Kitchen, or MHK, when she faced with insurmountable requests to make some of those recipes in a book, she responded positively. My Halal Kitchen is a book for Muslims or those who are interested in considering their food choices more carefully. The book is full of recipes from around the world, includes many cooking tips, and redefines one's relationship with the kitchen. Yvonne is going to tell us the best and most nutritious food we should eat during Ramadan and how to cook for the rest of the other months. For that, I am bringing Iman. Uh, salam, Iman. Salam oh, alaikum. Thank you for Excellent. having me. Absolutely. It's a pleasure to have you uh, to our program, Peace Mindedly. So to set the ground, Ivan, I want to know, in your opinion, what is a halal kitchen? Well, a halal kitchen is just a kitchen that where everything that is brought in and cooked, prepared in a certain way, everything you know follows the halal way of doing things, the halal standard. So what most people think of is no pork and no alcohol. Uh, those are the two basic things. But I like to go a little bit more beyond that and look at um, eating more naturally and wholesomely, which is, you know, what is prescribed in the Holy Quran. So that, that's my idea of halal kitchen. Can you give me examples of eating uh, good, nutritious food? Yeah, I think it's just getting rid of too much packaging. And I, I'm not a fan of processed food at all. I know that that's part of our lifestyle. That's, you know, things that are convenient. But once you you start tasting things that are truly organic, and I mean, just something natural from the earth that's not touched by chemicals um, and fooled around with too much, you it just changes your whole outlook on the taste, things you can do with food and cooking. So when you go to grocery... How do you choose your ingredients? Well, first of all, I look at the season. I look what, at what is fresh and, and seasonal. And I try to find what is local, but that's, that's harder, just depending on where you're located. But when you look at things that are seasonal, then you're going to find things that are better tasting and also better for you because they are packed with the nutrition that the body needs in that season. So that's something really important, I think, that most people don't understand about eating seasonally. And it's kind of a trendy word, but there's a reason why things come in a season and go out of season. You know, your body really does respond to what is growing at the time and it gives you what you need. For example, in the winter, you know, lemons and, and all kinds of citrus are, are needed. And when the sun is, you know, not as bright, uh, you need more, you know, vitamin C, things like that. So I think the more we know and understand about what our food gives us in terms of nutrition, the more we can appreciate why we need to eat things that are, are seasonal, as local as possible, and definitely without chemicals and pesticides. So, so when you say seasonal, um, in the at least in the United States, there are there are many that they are available 24-7. Every time you go to a store, there is orange, even at the yeah. middle of summer. Or every time you yeah. go to a store, it's, at least in my experience, shopping seasonal, I mean, I mean, doing groceries seasonal, really in the United States doesn't make sense. Yeah, 
It's really hard. So I've been in Turkey for a year and a half now, and this whole idea of eating seasonally and locally is not really a choice. <laughs> it's just the way it is. To buy things out of season is super expensive. I mean, in the bigger cities, you can kind of find things, but where I am, it's a small coastal town and everything is grown in the vicinity. So for example, I was looking for a pomegranate when I, when I was hired to do a recipe for a magazine and it was out of season. And I think there was one in the entire town and they charged me so much money for it because it was in a freezer. And I, and I really didn't understand how difficult it could be to eat seasonally. It's because it's such a trendy word and it sounds a bit elitist and it's very hard for people to do that in the US because everything is shipped in from everywhere. But the upside of it is that it has taught me to make the things that I have in front of me be grateful for those. And actually, my body really needed those things that were in season. And I really felt better. But you you realize how spoiled you are in a Western country where everything is shipped from all over the place. You know, it, what was the recipe you were you were writing for that magazine? Oh, that was um, it was a recipe for um, it was a with uh, uh, so yogurt cream, uh, yogurt cheese, uh, crostini. So it was like, it was like an appetizer dish. So I talked about freshly baked bread and then putting the the labne or the yogurt cheese on top and then uh, sprinkling it with um, pomegranate, fresh pomegranate and pistachios. And it was just a really, really simple recipe. And that's just the way I cook. I, I don't like to complicate things. But super tasty. You have the fresh pomegranates. That it's just like juice in your mouth and pops. And it's just a really great recipe, but very simple. But the pomegranates were gone at the time. So I will never look at a pomegranate the same way because mm -hmm. you know, mm -hmm. once they're gone, they're gone. Yeah. Oh, tell me about your easy to make favorite recipe. Oh, easy to make favorite recipe. Well, I have a recipe that's not the easiest to make unless you practice it. But once you practice it, you're good. Um, but it's my shrimp pad thai only because in, in Asian restaurants, sometimes it can be a little hard for people to eat halal, particularly if you're having things like soy sauce because they can tend to have alcohol. And the, being the purist that I am with, with condiments, I don't like the synthetically uh, synthetic ones. Uh, there's a soy sauce that is halal, but it, it doesn't have like the natural ingredients. So, so I developed this recipe by making my own version of soy sauce with molasses and some spices, and it really tastes like a soy sauce substitute. So when I developed that recipe, I was really excited to, to embark on more Asian food and more Asian recipes because I really love Asian food. But Certain things, you know, just just kind of, you know, I did I avoided because of ingredients. So shrimp pad thai is delicious. It has, uh, if you have a peanut allergy, it doesn't work. But you can take those out or maybe do a different nut. But it's just so tasty. It has uh, spicy red pepper flakes in it, scallions, you know, the shrimp. I mean, just it's just a very flavorful dish. It's a long recipe, so I feel like sometimes long recipes can kind of. Uh, intimidate people or they say, I don't want to, you know, do something like that. But, but if you get organized ahead of time, you know, you really can knock it out quickly. And it, it's one of those recipes that once you taste it, you want to taste it. Oh, you want to try it over and over again. And actually kids really like it. I've made it for friends of mine and their kids really loved it. Minus the peanuts because some kids have that allergy. Okay. But, so uh, for the, this specific particular recipe uh, food, mm -hmm. what mm -hmm. are the preparations that we are going to need to make this? 
you can uh, use rice noodles. So with rice noodles, you soak them in water. You don't actually cook them. You soak them in hot water if you want to use those types of noodles. I'm trying to remember, too, uh, the exact techniques. But the shrimp, uh, I like to sort of slow cook it in the garlic. And I believe there's a, I think I used coconut oil in this one. I can't remember. But there's sort of like one thing is done over here and then the shrimp is being cooked. Uh, and then all the fresh ingredients are being being chopped up off to the side. So once the shrimp is cooked, you know, you kind of like put everything together. And that's another good way of cooking with kids because they can kind of, you know, start helping with the fresh ingredients and even doing the noodles. One thing I love about the rice noodles is that you're not boiling anything. I mean, with Italian food, which I cook most of the time, it involves a, a, a lot of, you know, boiling the noodles, boiling the pastas separately, and it becomes a little cumbersome. But I, I like this because I'm not cooking the noodles. I'm just sticking them in some hot water, and then they're soft. So that's wonderful. It's really, Excellent. really nice. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I mean, for me, <laughs> it's wonderful. <laughs> well, now, and now you can even buy the noodles uh, packaged uh, in uh, in its own sort of liquid. So you don't even have to cook them. They're already softened for you. So there you go with the convenience food. I don't I don't do that much in Turkey. <laughs> yeah, yeah. So what do you do in Turkey? What do you what do you cook most of the time? Well, Asian food is really hard. Asian ingredients are really hard to come by. So those kinds of things like noodles, I mean, you can find soy sauce, but um, the, the, those very specific ingredients are hard. I just cook everything Mediterranean here because every, all the ingredients are here for the Mediterranean kitchen. Things like ginger are really expensive. I don't think it grows as, as well here. So it, it's high in price. So, but all our Mediterranean things are you know, abundant and inexpensive. So your tomatoes, your peppers, your cucumbers, uh, spinach, all kinds of greens. And, you know, greens are uh, just super abundant. So so you, you're kind of like, you don't have to make Turkish food, but you end up making something Italian or Spanish or Southern French or Turkish because, because you're in this region and you're you know, you've got the abundance of ingredients and I just, so that makes tell me, happy. me do, do you, do you cook any Turkish food? I do. I do. Tell I've me, learned tell quite me. a bit. Okay. There's one recipe that I absolutely love and I never thought that I would, I would make it because I, when I saw it, I thought, well, that looks kind of hard, but it turns out to be so easy and it's called kisser. I mean, I don't know if I'm saying it right. Kisser. It is bulgur. It's bulgur salad with pomegranates and hot pepper paste and uh, lemon juice and some herbs. It doesn't really sound like it would taste good if you mix uh, hot pepper paste or tomato paste with, uh, with, with pomegranates, but you don't, taste, you don't taste the hot pepper paste that much and you don't cook the bulgur. Basically, you just soak the bulgur in hot water and it softens and then you, you, you squeeze out the bulgur uh, so that no water is left. And then, and then you add these ingredients and it is just, it's a little spicy because of the hot pepper paste. You don't really taste the tomato too much. But then once you add the pomegranates, the, the juice of the fresh pomegranate seed just completely refreshes your mouth from the, the hot pepper paste. And also there is a pomegranate molasses inside. So it is just so tasty. And you use it as a side dish to meat or fish or whatever. But I could eat an entire bowl to myself. It is it is a surprising dish. I don't know if it's particularly southern Turkish or 
Aegean where I am, but I think so because it, it's got that hot pepper piece is, is definitely a thing of the South. So yeah. the way that you're talking, there are two things <laughs> I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to ask. Okay. You. The first one is I really love to try cooking the, the dish. And mm -hmm. I'm asking if it's possible to mm -hmm. share the um, recipe with us so that I can post it on, on Gold sure. Thank sure. you. You're Thank forcing you. me to actually, I have it written down with all my notes to it because I, I sort of tweaked it the way I want it. And it is fantastic. Yes. Ooh, so then we are going to have the Yvonne's special treat. Mm -hmm. <laughs> for, yes. And for you can see because you can get pomegranates anywhere. I mean, Costco has them year round. So mm -hmm. I think anybody can make it. You can get the pomegranate molasses at a Middle Eastern store or Mediterranean market. They have them everywhere. It's really inexpensive. So yeah. delicious. And the second question is, how come you are talking about food with such enthusiasm and joy? Where is it coming from? Oh, you know, I, I can remember the time when I was in my early teens. I just started reading uh, health magazines. And I was really like kind of a health nut to the, to the dismay of my parents. They were kind of annoyed with me. But there was something about eating healthy and feeling good that I discovered early in, in my teen years. I don't know if it was one of those, you know, self-discovery moments, or I was really athletic when I was a kid. Uh, so I was always mindful of the body and, and, and being physically active and all of that. But I also grew up with grandmothers who were really great cooks. On my dad's side, my grandmother straight from Sicily, and my mom's side from Puerto Rico. So I grew up with family that, you know, just always had interesting, good food, homemade food on both sides. And then it just kind of stuck with me that, you know, good food makes you feel good. And when I was 18, I went to Italy for the first time to visit family. And that's why I think I was just moonstruck because I completely saw a different world of like where everything grows and the markets, the fresh markets of where you could, you know, buy the whole fish and people were taking me to, family members were taking me to orchards with where peaches were growing. And they were just the most delicious peaches. And from there, you know, I just remember the flavors. And then coming back to the States and feeling like, why can't I get that same flavor here? So I ended up a few years later going to California um, to after college because I thought, well, California is the best place in the U.S. for food. So I felt like I was always searching for, for that place that had the best food. And how could I create a career around this? Because I was so afraid if I, if I got involved in a career that took me away from good food that I would be unhealthy. So we are talking about food that everyone makes and it's Italian food or whether it's Asian food, whether it's Mediterranean food, but, but we are doing something with these foods that uh, yeah. makes it halal. So what are yes. we doing that make these food halal? That's the, that's the whole purpose of my existence, I feel. <laughs> because, you know, having said all I've said about following good food and growing up with great food, my parents were foodies without really realizing it. My, they were always encouraging me to take pictures of food. I mean, this is many, many years before Instagram. <laughs> um, I, I, I was able to taste really good food without even know, knowing what halal was, without knowing anything about Islam or Muslims. But during college, when I met Muslims and I, and I started to learn more about Islam and I had taken a trip to Morocco, that 
showed me, you know, what a what a mosque is or what a minaret is or what the call to prayer is, and that was in Ramadan, that appreciation for wow, there's this beautiful, peaceful, loving, peace-loving religion that I think I really align with. And then there's this food issue, right? And I started learning about halal. And I thought, you know, my inner struggle was like, how do I marry the two? Because I don't want to lose all these wonderful things I've grown up with. But I understand like from a halal perspective, you can't have wine and Pork. I never really ate pork. My parents weren't into it. That, that's kind of an interesting thing about my grow up, my childhood. But you know, when it comes to really good cooking, Italian cooking and French cooking, I understand that the techniques involved to bring flavor to to classic dishes contain the wine, uh, mostly the wine, and also pork is pork is used to flavor all kinds of things and Spanish food particularly. So I just. I just, I don't know, I had this intense passion to not give up great food and to not focus on just the Muslim world of food, even though I'm, I love foods from the Muslim world so much. But I knew that if I focused on those, I wouldn't get this message out about how you could um, substitute non-halal ingredients for halal. So I focused on Spanish food, Italian food, French food. And those techniques, and I studied a lot of French food because that their techniques are more complex. Um, and then I started experimenting with really high quality ingredients. So instead of red wine, I used these grape juices that I would find that were, you know, not from concentrate, you know, really well made. And at first it seemed kind of silly. Like, could this be the answer? It's so simple. But the, the because I understand the flavor profile of certain dishes from those non-traditionally Muslim cuisines, I, the taste I could understand was close enough or very, very close to the original. And I just sort of had these aha moments like, why in the Muslim community can't we enjoy beef bourguignon, like a la Julia Child, but we can take out the wine and really have a great meal. At the same time, we're still talking about using the, the, the really good cut of meat. We're using techniques that that are, are known the world over in terms of, you know, using animal fats and broths. So it's like I, I was able to sort of find those halal substitutes, but also talk about eating really well at the same time. And that's what I was really happy about because I, I'm, I'm really a big fan of, of uh, going as natural as possible, using the whole animal and getting people back to health. So it kind of like this three-in-one thing started to happen by way of going halal. I learned more about food and cooking and animals and and all and the agriculture industry by researching halal than, than I would have if I'd never touched that concept. So. Mm-hmm. so in our discussion, you are keep talking about technique. And mm-hmm. you say uh, French technique... Asian mm-hmm. technique, Mediterranean mm-hmm. technique. So mm-hmm. very quickly, when you say technique, what do you mean? Well, every cuisine has has a, a way that they, a foundational principle of cooking, in, in, in my view, in my experience. So for example, to get an Italian flavor on most food, you are starting out with uh, tomatoes and olive oil and garlic. And maybe you add a little onion. Whereas if you do like Middle Eastern food, you start with olive oil, onion, and tomato and garlic. And, and it just, it's, there's a reverse 
kind of technique of starting out the dish, but it affects the flavor profile. With French food, you know, there's a lot of starting out with butter or animal fats, um, which isn't part of Mediterranean cuisine you know, usually. So, so that foundational technique of starting a dish affects the whole flavor profile. And that, that's sort of what makes that cuisine have the taste that it does. So that, that's what I mean when I say technique. It's like sort of how you start out a dish. But there's many continuing techniques involved and depending on what you're making, whether it's a stew or a roast or a soup. This episode is available on Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, uh, and other major podcasts that you get your audio leisures. You can listen to the same program later. When you do that and when you find Peace Mindedly on Apple, Google, Spotify, Stitcher, please do subscribe to our uh, show because it's important for us to um, get the subscription. When you go to Apple Podcasts, or Google Podcast, listen to our previous show. We had we had so many amazing guests, including Lale Bakhtiar, a woman questioning male patriarchy in Islamic texts, or Steve Slocum, a peace activist and writer of Why Do They Hate Us, or Lauren Marshall, Jewish-American playwright, working on her latest work, Abraham's Land. For this hour, it's particularly important subject for many of us who are observing Ramadan and and fasting because there is there is nothing more important during during Ramadan than food. And I have someone who understands food, understands flavor, understands cooking, and tell us exactly what to do to bring uh, the, the spirit of Ramadan to our families. Yvonne Mafe, she. She has published two books, My Halal Kitchen, Global Recipes, Cooking Tips, and Lifestyle Inspiration, and Summer Ramadan Cooking, Recipes and Resources for Healthy Cooking All Month Long. Chicago Chicago Magazine says Mafe's shatters the notion that halal diet means shunning dishes like a pepperoni pizza. I love that. Her books has been praised by many publications and received many reviews. Yvonne is passionate about her subject. She writes with authority on the area of halal cuisine. She celebrates halal cooking unapologetically, and she has received recognition for her craft from many U.S.-based media. So, Yvonne, I want to know what is your recommendation for us to eat during Ramadan? Oh, well, first of all, I think it's a great opportunity to really think about what's in your food. I I say this every year and it it never gets old. It's a really good time to be mindful and conscious of what we put into our bodies. You know, let's remember our bodies are an amana. They are a trust from Allah, uh, from God. And that means that uh, we have to take care of it. We are responsible for what we put into our bodies. We can't any longer say, well, it's not my responsibility, whatever the manufacturers did in the food, and I don't understand what's in the label. We we have to take responsibility for our health. There are many factors we cannot control, but our food in many regards is something we can control. What we what we we vote with our dollars at the grocery store. So when we go shopping, it is our responsibility to look at labels and to figure out what's in 
what we're putting into our bodies and giving to our families. So Ramadan is a great time to do that because instead of taking this nervous approach, like I'm so hungry, uh, I'm going to be so hungry from fasting all day and I'm just going to want to you know, eat something. Fasting should quiet the mind a little bit more and it should humble us to uh, to really have time to think. And, you know, as much as the coronavirus is a, is a huge, horrible problem world, the world over the, the one thing I, I feel is a positive we can look at is this, this time alone. You know, I, I have always been kind of stressed out in Ramadan, to be honest, every Ramadan has been uh, a little bit pressured to get together or to have people over for iftar but this is the first time that you know that pressure is not there so it's a good time to be alone with yourself and your family and to just reflect on what you're putting on the table and so i really think it's a great a great way to look deeper at the food we're we're choosing and to pick the stuff that is the most natural the most nutrient dense the you know if few if if zero chemicals and pesticides and then notice the taste because if we slow down enough we will think about what we're eating and then think about that flavor that's something we what we've needed to do i think we've, i've talked about it every year but i i don't think that there's ever been a better time to really implement that than now because Yvonne, of that can time you give me an example of your own uh, give me an example about the time that you truly contemplated and thought about the food you're eating and and truly appreciated the food that um that it, it goes into your system that's a great question i think that happened um the first time i ever experienced um, eating a truly halal meat. Um, I had never seen a, a sacrifice done and I didn't think I ever wanted to. And uh, But out of my curiosity, I, I, I did see it. And I wasn't Muslim at the time, actually, but I, I witnessed it at a farm and I was moved to tears. I was, I was sad at the sacrifice of the animal but it was truly the most uh, spiritual thing I'd ever seen uh, because the animal really succumbed and submitted to, to this, to it, to its fate. And that triggered something in my mind that, and, and every time after that, that I've seen it, because now working in halal industry, I do see a lot of, um, I do go to quite a few slaughterhouses and I witness the halal sacrifice. And it has made me so humble to the fact that, when an animal is sacrificed in this way, do not waste any part of it. This whole concept of cooking the whole animal, yes, absolutely. Every part of it has some benefit to us. And, you know, cultures around the world eat so many different parts of the animal that we're not used to in the U.S. And, you know, it shouldn't be an issue of of, uh, well, if we have more money, you know, we just buy the more expensive cuts. This animal is sacrificed for our nutrition. So there's a respect that I learned about at that time. So it wasn't just fruits and vegetables, you know, and, and contemplating their seasonality. I think it was the meat that kind of gave me the most, the most wake up call, you know, Excellent. to really appreciate. Yeah. Mm -hmm. So why do you think that we should cook our own food? 
touching and tasting and holding and understanding the texture of ingredients. It's like, it's just like getting back to the earth. I, I'm, a, I'm also a big gardener. I love my plants. And I feel like when you, when you touch something real, how many of us actually touch something real every day? A plant, a flower, a tree. You know, food is the same thing. Food is this ingredient. It's a miracle that comes out of the, out of the dirt. And I think when you see something grow, it's almost like, you know, you're watching the birth of something and, and you, it's so special to you. It's so sacred. So if you can't do that, but you can just take those ingredients and cook them, you have a, you know, a more tendency to eat those things, especially if you involve children, they, they will eat more if they cook something because they've, they've handled it. They've invested in it. They, 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 they respond to texture, not just flavor. So, you know, cooking your own food means you're invested in that meal. And even if it isn't like the, the taste you had dreamed about, you're probably going to eat it because you're going to appreciate the effort you put in and understand things like, you know, wasting food too. So it's just having that hands-on experience that is just so valuable, I, I believe. So here is the question that I always, you know, sort of... Um, intrigued me in a way so uh, it's the notion um and for for the um okay so i'm just going to read out the 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 question the mm-hmm. notion that i do not know how to cook or i never cooked uh, in my life was too new to me in the united states when i arrived and mm-hmm. then uh, something that really um, hit me was uh, perhaps i thought maybe we in the U.S. just take uh, pride of not engaging in the uh, domestic issues. Yeah. I mean, and just uh, taking pride of not cooking and so forth. And when I was adjusting myself with, with the culture, felt me so alienated in a way because mm-hmm. I always cooked and I loved cooking. And now, mm-hmm. um, but but in in the part of the world that you are from, I mean, you are living and I am from women usually cook so so i'm I'm thinking um what i mean what is the difference i mean you are american you exactly know these cultures so what is Mm -hmm. the difference that in the u.s we take pride of not doing domestic work and in um turkey iran in those parts uh women truly enjoy cooking so what how what what is it here that without any judgment or without any you know putting a label on anyone or anything i'm just Mm -hmm curious to know how how these two words are really different or similar that's such a great question and observation because i have asked myself that even before i came to turkey because i grew up with women who cooked in in my family uh everyone cooked and worked so it wasn't a question of uh you know it wasn't it wasn't an issue when i started my halal kitchen um, I got some slack from from women who said, you know, you're 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 trying to make the girls domestic, and we want them to be educated. And I said, you know, I I don't see any, I don't see any problem knowing how to cook that doesn't conflict with being educated. To me, cooking is a survival skill. Uh, it's empowering when you know how to feed yourself. And for me, it's it's a lot of therapy. I truly enjoy it. I understand not everybody enjoys it, and I would venture to say that. In Turkey, not every woman likes to cook. I think a lot of people are really tired of it. 
And I myself have tired of it because everything is from scratch. There's so few convenient products. So you're, you're, you know, if you don't really master your time, you can be in the kitchen all day long. So I have asked myself this question too. I have seen in the U.S., beautiful big kitchens that are never used. And it always intrigued me because I would say, well, I would die to have a kitchen that like that huge with all those amenities and no, and people pride themselves in not using them. I, I don't know. I, maybe it has something to do with women feeling like it is their, um, th- th- their duty and they have to cook. And they, and when you're forced to do anything, I mean, when I say forced, I mean, you're just expected then it's not enjoyable. I think anything that you really don't want to do freely feels like a chore. And so maybe that's why some people just take pride in saying, you know, I don't cook and I, I don't have to, I don't want to, they can afford not to, or, you know, someone else does it. I think there's a psychological reason behind it. And I, and I don't have any judgment on people who, who don't cook or don't want to cook because to each his own. And don't do it if you don't truly enjoy it. I'm trying. I'm trying to to show that it can be enjoyable by way of really appreciating good food, good flavor, and accessibility to great, beautiful food ingredients. But that's that's me. That's not going to appeal to everybody. And certainly in Turkey, people have looked at me really strange when I'm at the market and said, oh, these cherries are gorgeous. They're such great color. And, and people just look at me like, you must not be from here, you know. Um, so it's it's a personal thing. But I, I do see what you're saying. And I have experienced the same thing. Why do you think that cooking is empowering? Because... It's a, it's a life skill. It's a survival skill. I mean, look at how we are right now with the coronavirus, right? Everybody's quarantined. And in a place like Turkey, if you don't know how to cook, you're kind of in trouble because every restaurant is closed. Uh, I don't know exactly about how that works in the U.S., but if you, for example, I went to the store and I bought lentils, um, two, two different kinds of lentils, chickpeas. Everything is dried, no canned. I have to go to the market for my fresh stuff. There are very few canned uh, tomatoes and things. There's like maybe tomato sauce and things like that. But if if I don't know how to prepare those lentils and prepare those chickpeas, you know, someone who doesn't know how to do that would look at a bag of, of hard chickpeas and say, well, what the heck do I do with this? So it is empowering because you can feed yourself and take some joy in that and take some pleasure. I truly enjoy food. I like what I make and I sit down and I savor it, but I don't have that nervousness of not knowing how to cook. So I think it's empowering because in a time like this, you can actually save money, feed yourself and not be looking for someone else to solve your problem of something so basic as having to eat and eat well. Yes. Yes. Well said. (laughs) Thank you so much, Yvonne. Thank you. Usually I ask my guests to close the program. And this time I asked Yvonne if she would like to share with us a prayer, something that meaningful to her, something about peace and something about um, friendship and togetherness. So, yes, mm-hmm. Yvonne, go ahead. Yes, I, I thought this was a great question. And I actually turned it on to self-love. It's something that I'm... I'm learning to do a little better. I think cooking is an act of self-love. 
Um, because only when you can really learn to like yourself and love yourself, not in a narcissistic way, obviously, but in a way that uh, makes you sort of align with your who you are, then I feel like you can be the best to those around you. So your family, your friends, and you can and really give. And I think a lot of cooks are very nurturing and giving and sometimes to a fault. So so I want to say this um, this closing remark that I, I read from uh, a woman by the name of Dr. Marwa Asser. She posted it on Facebook not too long ago, and I it just really resonated with me. It was about it's about you know using your 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 talents to benefit the world, and uh, I do believe that that is an act of self love because you're you're recognizing who you are, and allowing yourself to to give those things to the benefit of humanity. So, so this is what it, what she wrote, and I just thought it was beautiful. It says, uh, do not respond to God's gifts to you by playing small. His plans for you are not small, and neither should your response to them be small. Playing small is no form of gratitude to the one who wants you to be grand. And I think in Ramadan, you know, with all the focus on introspection, finding what our faults are, weaknesses are, and correcting those things and getting closer to the one, to God, that's a great way to, to kind of to, to make that connection between you yourself and, and the one who created. So, Very good. Excellent. Thank you. Thank you, Yvonne. With my guest, I hope you enjoying uh, your, your day and uh, at least have more time to cook during the quarantine for yourself and your family. Uh, Yvonne promised me to, to share <laughs> the recipe. <laughs> And then, I have to do that. Yeah. <laughs> and I then, will do that. Sure. And then I will, uh, if you go to goldtune.com, uh, you'll see uh, the, the recipe, banana, banana mm -hmm. date cup. Oh, yes. Those are good. Yes. It's, it's very good. I'm going to try it. Uh, I'm going to try to make it tonight. And then, um, and then uh, the new recipe that she's going to sh uh, share with us. Uh, with that, thank you so much for watching. Thank you so much for listening. This is Peace Mindedly. And thank you, Yvonne, for being our, my honored guest. Oh, the pleasure was all mine. Thank you sure. so much for having Absolutely. me. Absolutely. Khodafiz. Khodafiz.